0: pretty much a timeline of when the kingdom will begin and when the end of time is and we know that we learned I'm going to try to do this as quickly as I possibly can but we realize that it began the scriptures tell us when the king Artaxerxes issued a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem we know that was the beginning of the 69 we, of the 70 weeks now realize a week means a group of seven so we're talking about 70 groups of seven years or 490 years Now, we realize that began, as I said, with King Artaxerxes' uh, decree, and then we know that the 69 weeks ended when Jesus had his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, when they were throwing the palm branches in front of him and saying, you know, Hosanna, and crying out to him as Savior. So that was the end of the first 69 weeks, or 483 years, right? And last week, we discussed what takes place in this gap between the 69th week the 70th week because he tells us when they're consecutive and when they're not well the first 69 weeks are 483 years were consecutive but then there's a there's a break in time and that's called the church age it's this time frame between the 69th and the 70th week or the last seven years when God is going to offer the kingdom to anyone who will believe because the Jews had rejected it so this is the time that he is building his church and when I say church I mean the big sea church, the body of Christ. Daniel 9.26 says, Then after the 62 weeks, which 62 plus 7 was 69, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come uh, will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with the flood. Even to the end there will be war, desolations are determined. So the church age is an unknown time span between the 69th and the 70th week. And there are several things that have to be accomplished during that time span. And we learn those when we are studying Daniel and Matthew both. First, it says that the Messiah will be cut off. And what this means is that he will be crucified. And that was fulfilled when Jesus was crucified. Then it says the city and the sanctuary were to be destroyed. And this was fulfilled when Titus, the Roman general, came into Jerusalem in 70 AD and just laid it waste. The whole city uh, and the temple just destroyed everything and they took, uh, they took control over Israel. Now, Matthew added, if you'll remember back in Matthew 24, 14, that the gospel would be, pre- would be preached around the world. Matthew twenty four fourteen says, The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Okay, so during this church age, these things have to happen, and during this time frame, while these things are happening, God is building his church and the gospel has been preached all over the world and people are believing and he's he's building up or enlarging the borders of his kingdom and we are still currently in that church age we are still in that span between the 69th and the 70th week okay now here's the big thing after 70 AD which was when the city and the sanctuary were destroyed right the gospel has already been presented to all over the world and still is being so there's only one event left to happen before that 70th week begins, also known as what? Uh, you're ahead of me. The 70th week is known as? Tribulation period, there you go. Way to get ahead of my message. <laughs> but anyway, she's always a spoiler. All right? So the next event to happen is? The rapture. the rapture, there you go. That's the next event to happen, the rapture of the church. That's the big C church, the body of Christ. First Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, With the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be what? Caught up. In Latin, raptura, which is where we get our word, rapture. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Okay, so the the rapture kicks off the 70th week or that tribulation period, okay? Now today we're going to discuss the events of that 70th week and and we're going to talk about some of the parties involved in that and some of the events. But when we when we study this the whole thing, the whole 70th week, it just reminds me and it should remind all of us that it's important that if you haven't believed while you have time you do. And it's important that if you have believed that you start living and exercising your faith now because we never know when that end is going to come. It doesn't actually say when that 70th week will begin, right? So Here's the thing. We know that the tribulation was designed for Israel because God made a promise to Abraham. He said, you know, I'm going to give your people the kingdom. So he has to go to extreme measures. Now, when I say that, realize extreme measures means beyond walking on water, beyond raising the dead, beyond speaking to storms and calming them, feeding thousands with a few fish and a few loaves, all the miracles that he did, all those things did not convince them to believe. So God has to do something very, I mean, very radical, something huge that will get their attention. And that's what this last week, this last seven years was designed to do, was to get Israel's attention. If you go there, it'll be because you've rejected Christ just like the Jews did. And you'll have to suffer the same fate, which means going through this tribulation period and all the terrible things that we are about to study. But always remember, no one has to fear the future who knows Christ in the present. Okay, that's very important. You don't have to fear what's going to happen in the future if you know Christ now. Because those who believe are spectators of the 70th week, not participants. And that that should excite you. We don't have to go through that. So, you've been really waiting to hear what's going to happen the 70th week. Let's jump into that. Daniel 9, 27. And it says, and he, and this is talking about the Antichrist, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. Okay, so after millions of people disappear in the rapture, just millions of people, gone, people are going to be looking for leadership. The world is going to be in complete chaos. And this is going to be the perfect opportunity for the Antichrist to come to power. I mean, just the perfect opportunity for him to come up and just seize control. Now, there are a lot of theories as to how he's going to take control, and no one really knows, I believe, That most likely he'll say, well, God has cleansed the world of all those unworthy people that hindered our progress. And he sent me to bring everyone back together and to lead you to the success you should have had. I mean, that's what I believe he'll do. And I can't prove that, but that seems to make sense. Uh, Some other people have different theories. Some people say that he's going to be a military leader and come in and seize it by force. I mean, that may be the case. I don't see any evidence of that, but that may be the case. No one really knows. All we know for sure is that he is going to come to power and that he is going to be a politician and a spiritual leader. He's going to be both, and we'll look at that here in a minute. So verse 27 says that he's going to make a firm covenant with the many. Okay, now here's where we see the political leader part of him, because he's going to broker something that has never happened since the beginning of time. Nothing that has ever, this is never, we've never seen an event like this. He's going to broker a worldwide peace treaty. There's literally going to be peace on earth. You know, all the, all the beauty contestants, what do you want? You know, world peace. Okay, well, they're going to get it, right? <laughs> he's going to bring that. Finally, there's going to be a beauty contestant going, yes, <laughs> there it is, right? So he's going to actually bring complete world peace, And he's going to do that with a treaty. And by a treaty, I mean he's going to make a covenant of peace. And this peace is going to deceive everybody because it's just going to amaze them that the world is actually at peace. Okay, it's just going to blow everybody's mind right now. uh, Verse 27 also said he's going to make a covenant with the many, with the many. Now, this refers to the apostate Jews who are going to enter into this covenant with him not all the Jews are going to enter into this covenant with him. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But if you think about it, it really kind of makes sense that they would follow him because the Jews were looking for, eagerly awaiting a Messiah who would come and be in control of everything, would be a world-dominating figure, right? Jesus was dominating in his miracles and his words, but that wasn't enough. They wanted to be a prominent nation. You know, following a prominent leader that was in control of all things. And here comes this man who brokers peace with the whole world, basically, steps in control of everything. And what's the first thing they're going to think? That must be our Messiah. He's got everything we've been looking for. So we'll find out that about two thirds of the Jews will enter into that covenant with him. About two thirds of them will enter into that covenant with him. Now the sad thing is, is that the same two thirds will be the ones that will end up dying during the tribulation period, during all that persecution that's going to happen, and we'll talk about that here uh, in just a little bit. But we're also going to find out that the remaining third of the Jews they will believe. Okay, they will believe. Now, now, Abraham, uh, Jesus never. I'm sorry, God never promised Abraham that every last Jew would believe. He just said the nation as a whole would inherit this kingdom. So we'll find out that about a third of them will believe. And Zechariah prophesied about this. If you look at Zechariah 13, 7, it says, Awake, O sword. And when it says, O sword, it's talking about God's wrath. Against my shepherd, that's Jesus. And against the man, my associate. Now that word associate literally means companion or one who is close to me. I was talking about Jesus. Declares the Lord of hosts, strike the shepherd, this is the crucifixion, that the sheep may be scattered. What happened at the crucifixion? When he was being crucified, where, what happened to his disciples? They scattered. they scattered. They were gone, right? It says, so strike the shepherd uh, and that the sheep may be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. This is Israel. It will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts, okay, two parts, that's two-thirds, two parts in it will be cut off and perish. Okay, that's the ones who enter that covenant with the Antichrist. But the third will be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire. What do you think that fire is? That tribulation period, right? It says that he will bring that that third through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. And this is that remaining third of Jews who believe, right? And they're going to have to go through the tribulation. They will survive it. But it's going to be very, very difficult, okay? So we see that he was a political leader because he ushered all that in, okay? And we see that he's a spiritual leader because he did something even more amazing than world peace. He finds a way to bring the Jews and the Muslims together and bring them together in peace, okay? Has there ever in anyone's lifespan in here, from the youngest me to the oldest Ben, anyone in here, that has ever seen peace in the Middle East. Anybody. And I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but there will never be peace there until the Antichrist makes it happen. Okay, so he's going to be seen as a spiritual leader because he's going to make two completely different religions. Completely different. Who are at odds with each other. Who hate each other he's going to make them be at peace with each other okay the covenant that he's going to draft will allow for protection and religious freedom this is why he'll also be a spiritual leader because in this covenant he's going to allow israel to rebuild their holy temple the one that was destroyed in 70 a.d right and not only will they rebuild it they'll also resume their sacrifices that they used to perform in there Okay they're going to be able to resume those sacrifices. Now this is how we know that the treaty brings peace because if Israel and the Jews are at peace everybody's at peace, right? So there's going to be peace here. Now I'm going to explain why it's so amazing that they're able to build their temple here in a minute because there's a lot more to that. Okay, verse 27 tells us that this is a 7-year covenant. 7-year which means 1 One week, right? One group of seven. One week, all right? And it also tells us that it's going to be broken up into two three-and-a-half-year sections. Okay, that's right in the middle. It's going to be broken into two three-and-a-half-year sections. The first three-and-a-half years will be peaceful and prosperous for everybody. Okay, and it's kind of funny. Remember how I told you that the devil, the enemy, is a huge copycat? He copies everything God does? Now, the Bible teaches us that when the millennial kingdom kicks off, there's going to be peace. The lion will be able to lay down with the lamb. All this this just unsurpassing peace that we can't even imagine. Well, here comes the Antichrist, and he brings in peace. What do you think he's trying to convince them is starting? He's trying to convince them the millennial kingdom is kicking off because he's a big copycat. He's never had an original idea in his life, right, which is a long time, like the same amount of time Ben's been alive. It's been, I mean, just a long time. But, so there's going to be huge peace, and everybody's going to be deceived. The first three and a half years, they're going to be like, this just, just has to be the Messiah. Look at this peace. But then, the first three and a half years end. The middle. And in the middle, everything changes, because the second three and a half years is going to be full of turmoil and tyranny, and it's just, just going to be terrible. It's going to be awful. All right, so, again, this has to happen in order to bring Israel back to Christ. That's why this is all happening. So let's take a look at this. Daniel 9.27, the second part, says, But in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Now, that word makes desolate literally means causes terror or extreme terror okay so he's going to bring extreme terror during that last three and a half years so this is kind of wild because in the middle of this covenant uh, everybody's thinking oh this this maybe this is the messiah look at the world peace maybe we're entering into the millennial kingdom maybe maybe that kingdom that was promised abraham is starting right now okay everybody's going to be so pumped And then all of a sudden, he's going to reveal who he really is. And I'll talk a lot more about that next week. But he's going to really reveal who he is. And it's going to be awful. His real identity is going to come out. Because the first thing he's going to do is he's going to put a stop to those sacrifices and offerings that the Jews just instituted. And it's ironic because he's the one that's going to make those things possible. Remember, he's the one that's going to allow them to rebuild that temple and start having sacrifices. We know that because he puts an end to them. He couldn't put an end to them if he didn't institute them. Because right now, they are currently not offering sacrifices. Because they don't have their true temple. They have to have a true temple that's acceptable by law. And they don't have it because it was destroyed in 70 AD. Now, here's where it starts to get pretty wild. Because the only way they can have these sacrifices is to have that acceptable temple, right? And the only way to have that acceptable temple is for them to totally rebuild the original one, all right? But that's a lot easier said than it is done. See, there's actually people out there trying to raise money right now to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. That's going on right now. But it's not going to be an easy task, and here's why. Because... In order for it to be built on the Temple Mount, they first have to get control of the Temple Mount, right? Because as of 2010, the Temple Mount, the site where they have to build that temple, right, is owned by and occupied by the Muslims. There's the the Temple of the Rock or the Dome of the Rock is there right now. And this is a Muslim holy place that was built right where the temple's supposed to be. It is completely under Islamic control. Okay? So here's what's going to have to happen, right? The Antichrist is going to have to convince the Muslims to just say, you know what? We're just going to abandon that whole Dome of the Rock thing, tear it down, and build your temple. How many people think that would happen unless supernatural things come into play? Right? That's not going to happen unless the Antichrist does it, unless there's supernatural forces you know in play at this time that's impossible but somehow he's going to convince the muslims to give that back to the jews he's going to let, he's going to convince them just to give it back right and if that's not proof of how powerful he'll be i don't know what is how long have you heard the media crying out for peace in the middle east how long have you heard all the politicians say you know we want peace in the middle east but all to no avail Because there's only one being that can bring peace in the Middle East, and it's the Antichrist, right? Now, it's going to be rebuilt right where it's supposed to be rebuilt, and the peace is going to be sustainable because if it wasn't, do you really think the Islamics would allow them to continue building it? They would just kill them. Even if they did get control, they would kill them and blow them up as soon as they came to try to build it. So that peace is sustainable long enough for them to rebuild the temple, and start having their sacrifices again. So this this is a lot. This is a ton. This is showing that there's really genuinely going to be peace between those two factions. So with all this going on, it's kind of understandable. I'm not saying it's right, but it's kind of understandable that people would want to follow him. You know what I mean? If we didn't know what we know and saw that, we would think that well, man, maybe it is Jesus. You know, maybe this is the Messiah. I mean, peace in the Middle East, everything's going great. Everybody's getting along. Different faiths, different religions are getting along. We don't even see that in this country. You notice that? Sure, we're not killing each other, but it drives me crazy. Denominations are battling about who's right and talking bad about each other, and that's the work of the devil. Do you really think that God said, I will build my church so that you can divide it and fight with each other? Do you really think that's what he wanted? There's no denomination mentioned in Scripture, right? So what we're doing right now is just as influenced by the enemy as what's going to happen then because, I mean, believers who are going to spend eternity together bickering and fighting over a name hung over the door that does not exist in Scripture, that can only happen when the enemy is in play. But anyway, so we're going to see this is, I mean, it's going to kind of make sense. It will. It will kind of make sense because he's doing all these things. You can see why people would want to follow him. But all that is just a diversion. All the peace, all the kindness, all the goodwill is just a diversion to deceive people, to get them bought in. Right? Now, I'll be honest with you. Some things never change. Some things just, just never change because the enemy has been using this tactic forever. He always makes things look better than what they really are. So to pull us away from what we're doing that's right and trap us. He's always done that. We've even seen it in the Garden of Eden. Let's look at this real quick. Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. All right, now the serpent here, Satan was using the serpent, just so you know. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden and that's exactly what god said he said you can eat from any tree you want except that one don't eat of that one right so he starts by making you question god i know he's done that to a lot of people i'm not going to make you raise your hand but there might even have been a time in your life where the enemy tried to make you question god he says you should not eat from any tree of the garden the woman said to the serpent you know what the first thing i would have said to the serpent is why are you talking that would have been the first thing I would have said. You know, but, okay, so the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will what? Not. Will not die. He changed one word. One word, he says, you will surely You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be what? Like God, God, knowing good and evil. See how he's playing on that pride, right? Verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, She took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. You know what I think is (laughs) funny? They don't even mention her husband until it's too late. What was Adam doing? One of two things. He's either just staring at his naked wife, which makes sense, right? (laughs) Or he's going, why is that stinking snake talking? You know what I mean? I don't know. What he was not doing was standing up for God. What he was not doing was demanding they follow the precepts of God. He was just standing there going, okay. (laughs) And she's talking with the snake and has this debate with the snake, and she eats what she's not supposed to eat. And she goes, have a bite. And he's like, okay. And he takes a bite. Right? drives me crazy. It says, "Because look at it. It says she gave to her husband with her, and he ate. He didn't say, Maybe we shouldn't do this. He didn't say, you know, God told us not to do this. He's like, She's naked, I'll eat. You know what I mean? I don't know. Verse 7. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. So immediately when they ate, something changed. Okay, now he didn't lie to Eve. He didn't lie to Eve. He and he delivered what he promised in a sense because he just left out a few important details but was she able to discern good and evil after she ate absolutely he delivered but here's the kicker right the moment the moment she ate and knew the difference between good and evil she realized that she and adam were evil all right and the moment The moment that she knew they were evil, they became accountable for that evil, right? They weren't accountable for it before that. They became accountable, right? So the enemy knew that down deep, Eve desired to run the show. Hmm. Nope, I'm going to let that go. That's just too easy, okay? So down deep, he knew that Eve, the wife, desired to run the show. Anyway, so Satan makes it sound like, listen, he's just holding out on you. That's all it is. He doesn't want you to be equal with him. He doesn't want you to have authority. He doesn't want you to be as wise as him. He's just holding out on you. If you eat from that, you will not die. And she fell for it, right? He said you're going to know the difference between good and evil and he was right she did and when she did she found out they were completely evil and as a result they were thrown out of the garden Right now this is exactly what the antichrist will do at the beginning of the 70 weeks of the 70th week rather he's going to tell everyone what they want to hear and do the things they want to see so that he can take control over their lives despite the fact that they know if anybody knows what the, what the prophets prophesied about the Antichrist, it's the Jews, trust me. They know the Word of God, what their portion of the Word of God up to the New Testament, more than any of you do. From little up, they are ingrained in their mind. They knew the prophecies of the Antichrist. right? Yet, he knows what they want to hear. He knows what they want to see, just like he did with Eve. And he gives it to them, and in exchange, he gets complete control over their lives. And once he has that control, they find out that he left out a few important details. Okay, once they trust him and start following him and sign that covenant, they find out that the, you know, just some minor details like the fact that he's the Antichrist, he left that out. And he left out that he was God's number one enemy. Those are just some small details that he left out, but it's too late. Because once he was in control, he was going to bring total destruction in their lives. Right now, it's funny because the enemy still uses these same tactics today. He still uses these same tactics. He's not that original. Just so you know, he's still using these tactics. He knows what our flesh wants. I remember one time when I first became a believer, I didn't understand how the whole deal worked, you know? So I thought, man, the devil must be able to read my thoughts because he knows exactly what to tempt me with. And what I found out was the devil cannot be everywhere all the time like God, right? And he's not omnipresent. He's not, he's not all-powerful because he cannot read your thoughts. He is not God. He tries to pretend he's a God. He's not, right? He cannot read your thoughts. So when a pastor told me that, I said, well, then how does he know what to tempt us with? And he goes, because we just don't hide it really well. He said, we're kind of pretty easy to read. He said, we show our hand all the time. He knows what people want, right? Listen, he knows that we are lustful people. We desire, especially what we think we can't have. We desire it, what we think we're not supposed to have. We desire it. How many people have seen that with your kids, right? You could literally tell your kids, If you didn't say a word about a certain closet in your house, they'd probably never go in it. But if you say, listen, don't ever go in that closet, whatever you do, don't ever go in that closet, what happens? Now they go, oh, he doesn't want us to be in his closet. (laughs) That means that he's holding out on us. There must be amazing things in that closet. Candy for miles, soda fountains. I mean, we just, we think, we think we gotta have it. Does that sound familiar? You know, what did he do with Eve? He's like, did he really say not to eat from that tree? He's just holding out on you. You even see that in your own kids. We want what we're not supposed to have, we lust, we're greedy. We're greedy. Enough is never enough. Has anybody else ever wondered why once you hit billionaire, you don't just retire? When you hit, like, millionaire, why you don't just retire? You know, because it's never enough. That's who we are. So he knows that about us. He knows we love to be in control. right? I I love it when people say, you're a control freak. I'm like, I have a news flash for you. We are all control freaks we are just some are worse than others no names mentioned but anyway we all are control freaks just some are worse than others right so he knows that we want control we want power he knows that we got to have revenge he knows that because he reads our minds no because we run around saying i want revenge i want to get him back right and don't act innocent I love it when people, especially pastors, are bad for this. I'm busting out the other pastors. But they always act like, no, when that man offended me, I did not think of revenge. And I'm thinking, yes, and you're a liar. Because it's natural. You may have fought off the temptation, but you wanted it. Because in the heat of the moment, when something goes wrong, we get to see a different side of us, don't we? While we're on the topic, notice the mark on my head. I found out, As I was hit in the head with a two-by-four yesterday, long story. I found out that when being hit in the head with a two-by-four, I am not a godly man. (laughs) I found that out. You know? Because when that two-by-four hit my head, I was not singing praises. I was not thanking God for the experience to grow me through pain. And I'm glad none of you were there to see what actually went on. But I found out, at least with me, when being hit in the head with said two by four, I find out how ungodly I really, like when Eve ate the fruit, I'm like, wow. hmm, She needed fruit, I needed a two by four. I'm not a good guy. Right? I found out. He knows that we like revenge. He knows that our anger consumes us, so he subtly offers the things we're looking for in those moments. But he doesn't disclose all of the details right when he tempts us to do what we know we're not supposed to do he doesn't disclose all of the details right and let me give you some examples right he always tells us you know if you take more hours at work and work every hour you can you can retire earlier and you can have nicer things anybody ever fell for that one yeah i have I remember one time when I was working in a factory, I worked 21 days straight till the plant manager come out and said, go home. Why? Did I need it? Nope, I just wanted it. I was 19, and you know you have so many important things to pay for when you're 19. I just wanted it. What he doesn't tell you when he says, you know, if you work more, you'll, have, you'll be able to retire earlier. You'll have more. What he doesn't tell you is our absence from our family and friends causes damage that cannot be repaired. He doesn't tell us those small details. He just tells us, you'll have more money, and he's right. He just doesn't tell us that you'll have a child you don't know and a wife who's forgetting who you are, or a husband, as it may be. He just he doesn't tell us those details. He always tells us that we have the right to be happy and to look out for number one. Anybody ever had that feeling? I have the right to be happy. I've heard this so many times with marriage counseling. People will come in, and, and somebody decides after 20 years that they just want somebody better. I'm like, What happened? Were they bad to you? No. I was just thinking to myself, right away you know that means someone's whispering in his ear, right? I deserve to be happy, you know? And it ends up in a divorce and there's children and so many people affected by it, but he just doesn't tell you all the details when he does those things, right? He's always tempting us to do those things. You need to go tell him that you won't put up with that and make things right. You need to let him have it. He's not telling you all the details. Because some people don't have a stopping point when they decide to start doing that. And it might go farther than they want. You know what I mean? He always deceives us just like he deceived them. Doesn't give us all of the details. He just finds ways to distract us and separate us from God. And this is what he was doing with the Jews. Because when he has control of us, just like when he had control of Adam and Eve, when he had control, when he will get control of the Jews, he just brings total destruction. Okay, now, that last three and a half years, okay, that last three and a half years, okay, when this begins, everything changes, okay? Now, John tells us some details about what's going to happen in this last three and a half years in the book of Revelation. Let's take a look at this, Revelations 13, 14. It says, and he, talking about the Antichrist, deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which... Uh, It was given uh, him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image in the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, And the free men and slaves to be given a mark on their right hand, on their right, uh, or on their forehead, (laughs) their right forehead. If you have a right forehead, we got an issue. (laughs) Right? Uh, Verse 17, and he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who understands calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. Okay? Now, John has just given us, and we'll talk more about this next week, but John's just given some signs. And one of those signs is, if you don't accept his mark, you can't buy anything. Doesn't matter how much money you have, you can't buy anything. You can't trade. You can't do anything unless you take that mark. Now, people for centuries have tried to figure out what that mark's going to be. And I have people all over the place telling me the mark of the beast is already happening because they're putting microchips. I'm like, oh, shut it. Listen, it's going to be a choice you have to know you're making. Okay, this is going to be happen- happening during the tribulation period. You're going to have to know you're making that choice. Right? You're going to choose to take it so that you can buy. Now, they might be developing the technology now. I remember when credit cards first came out with a chip in them. <laughs> there were some people that said, I'm not taking that credit card. It's got a chip in it. They can track you. I'm like, newsflash, they can track you anyway, homie. But, you know, that might be the mark of the beast. You know, I've had people that, like, will not, if number 666 comes up, they have to change it because they're scared they'll be cursed. That's not how it happens. If you want to give me $666, child, I'll take it. <laughs> I don't care. You know, I'll take that. The People are always like, I wouldn't take $666. I'm like, then give it to me. <laughs> right? That's not, it's not, it's not how it's going to happen. It's not some big, you know, trick he's going to, you know, come up and give to people, and they're going to go, oh, no, I was tricked into taking more." That's not how it works. This is going to happen during the tribulation period. It's going to be so bad that you have to worship him to the degree that you will be able, to the degree that you're going to be able You won't be able to buy or sell unless you take his mark. Okay, it's going to be bad. That's just a few things that's going to happen. All right, and he's going to do miracles. But the miracles will be for evil. I don't want to get ahead of myself. We're going to talk about this stuff later. Anyway, so during that time, when they see all this stuff happening, remember, they know prophecy. The Jews know prophecy. And all of a sudden, when all these things start happening, they're going to go, oh, Jesus was the Messiah. And we crucified him. And then they're going to remember, because the gospel has been preached all over the world, that he's a loving and forgiving God who is gracious and does not give you what you deserve. He gives you grace, which is what you do not deserve. And they're going to realize that all they have to do is believe, and they will believe. A third of them will believe, and he will carry them through that tribulation period. But here's the sad part. It's not going to be easy. He's going to be hunting people down. We're going to talk about this next week as we ease back into Matthew. He's going to be hunting people down. You're going to have to be hiding anyone that's associated with anything other than worshiping him. He's going to put to death or try to put in prison or torture them. It's going to be a terrible, terrible time. So listen, I would much rather believe on this side of that 70th week because I'll be honest with you. I have no desire to be hunted like an animal. How about you? I mean, I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to see that unless I'm a spectator, not a participant. Believers are spectators of the 70th week. They're not participants. Right? So that's why it's so important that we believe now. If you haven't believed, that's why believers, you exercise your faith, share your faith now so that it can save people from that. So they can learn to believe and be delivered from that wrath that is to come. Okay? And it's unbelievable the things that they're going to be put through. Praise God, we don't have to worry about it if you believe. And if you haven't believed, you can take care of that today. I'm going to go ahead and stop there. I'm going to pick up next week before I start stepping on my sermon next week. We're going to ease back into Matthew 24 and start talking about how some of this stuff comes together and talking about that tribulation period, specifically the last three and a half years. So if you would, I'd ask you please bow your heads. We always like to give an invitation. We do that because we believe the Word of God is powerful. And... Sometimes you can be preaching through the strangest areas of Scripture that you would think would not reach anyone, and it speaks to their heart. And so we always like to give people an opportunity, and we don't call people up front. I don't do that stuff. I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to chase you down or email you or anything like that. I'm just going to pray for you. And if you're not sure where you stand with Christ, if you just make eye contact with me and put your head right back down, bless those people, I'm going to bless those people, I'll pray for you. not going to chase you down. But bless those people, you have to take a step somewhere. If you're watching online or listening online, God knows your heart, I'll be praying for you too. And as believers, I want to pray that we realize we have no control over this time frame. This church age could end by the end of the day. It could be a thousand years from now. Either way, I think it's important that we make the most of the time we have and serve them the best we can. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your grace and mercy. I just thank you for your love. I always say this, God, but I always mean it. I'm always stunned that you could love people like us. We always let you down. We continually sin. We can't get out of our own way. But your love and your mercy are so much greater than our mistakes and our sins. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. We know that your word promises that anyone who will believe That means trust in your son for eternal life. Your word says they'll have it. You made it that simple. Because the great price that was paid was paid by your son. We just get to reap the benefits. So if there's someone here or listening or watching who has not believed, no doubt there's so many things going through their mind that's hindering them. Just let them forget those things. And let them believe your promises because you always keep them. And if they make that decision today, God, I pray they reach out to us or to a a good Christian organization near them because I want them to have someone to grow with them and and help them to grow in their new journey. And God, for those of us who are believers, I confess that we get distracted easy. Lord, let us get our focus sharpened because we don't know the end. We don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but we want to do all we can with the time we have. Bless us to be about your business. God, we just pray that you would go with us as we we leave here. Keep us safe. Let us live what we profess. Let people see you in us. And if you don't return to take us home, if that time doesn't come before we get the opportunity to meet again, let us come together and give you all the praise and honor and glory you're so worthy of at least one more time. We thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.